0: everybody to know that in your bulletin, I've sort of overachieved this week. And so in your bulletin is note pages, fill in the blanks. So if some of you are like OCD, you're going to need to fill those out before you leave because you can't walk out with a blank on a piece of paper. I did it just for you. <laughs> it's a change, right? That's a change. That's that's a new thing. I, I just did it. Um, but change is something we're going to talk about. Change is something we love in other people. <laughs> when it's us, not so much. Right? We, you know, I, this doesn't happen in my house. <laughs> Angela's response was, oh, no. <laughs> but... I've heard of stories of spouses trying to change spouses. (laughs) Nobody's looking at anybody now, like straight ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and Ansel put out on Facebook the question. When you hear the word change or you think of change, what word or words come to mind? The responses were wonderful. They went from uncomfortable, scary, to exciting, adventurous, necessary, if you want to grow. However, I know it's hard. But change is something that we sometimes can control, and at other times we cannot. Okay, I'm going to give you an example of a change that I cannot control. Okay, it's just the way it is. I was working at the fireworks tent um, earlier you know, this summer and I was helping load some things into a truck. And we were loading the stuff into the truck and I needed to get up in the bed of the truck. And so I just thought, you know, there's the gates down and we're just slides of it, But we've got to shove the stuff up to get room for the other stuff to go in there. And I thought, you know, I've done this lots of times before. I'll just put my hands on the gate of the truck and I'll just jump up into I was unsuccessful the first time. So I tried again. I was unsuccessful the second time. And within moments, my white sock is now red. There is blood running down my leg. Fortunately, because of foster care, I have a a, a first aid kit in my van. And so I just went over and bandaged myself up. Didn't go to the doctor. Who would do that, right? I mean, that's crazy probably should have there was a hole in my leg like you could see in depth in the cut right I mean it's just weird Uh, hopefully you're okay I don't want anybody passing out but I haven't yet so I'm (laughs) and I've talked about it I, I realized like I can't jump quite the way I thought I could anymore the other day I'm helping Justin load up a swing set into a trailer and Justin Tompkins and and so I'm I'm helping him, and I'm just walking around the trailer. I'm going to lift my leg and get into the bed of the trailer. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) I hit it right there. If you really want to see the location, it's still there, along with a huge bruise around it. It's a little purple now. I've learned something. I'm getting old. It's a change I cannot control. Look, you know I ride these bikes with these big wheels, right? 54-inch wheel, right? Big wheel. So 54-inch wheel. Seat sits on top of that wheel, another four to six inches. That'd be 54 inches plus almost 60 inches, so five feet in the air, okay? One time, we were having a contest who could get on and off the bike the most different ways. I was tied with the other guy. I decided I'd come up with another way to get on that bike. Seat 60 inches in the air. I'm like, I bet I can just flat jump into that thing. (laughs) So I pushed the bike along, jump, sit on the seat, and ride away. I was 18 at the time. Now I couldn't make it into the bed of the truck. Because I'm old. I thought I was in decent shape. I thought I could do... Change happens sometimes, whether we like it or not. And if I continue to ignore the change that's happening, I will keep injuring myself over and over and over again. I probably ought to just admit the change has taken place. I can't jump as high as I once did. As a church, we're facing all kinds of changes. Some of those changes we set out to do and experience. Some of them we, we didn't. We didn't set out to, to go down those roads. For years, this church has prayed to be able to build a building out of 21st and Auburn Road for Mission Hill. Topeka first purchased 50 acres at the corner of 21st and Auburn about 20 years ago. Praying and dreaming of what God would use that for. We're now seeing some of those dreams become reality. Now is the time for us to step into those places. But with it brings change. It also brings work to see some of those changes happen. It's going to demand sacrifice and work. We're also dealing with leadership changes, right? I I get asked two questions regularly. They're just regular. I, I almost can put them if somebody walks up to me and I, I got a question for you. Two questions. The order of which are switched based upon where I'm at. But who's gonna lead Mission Hill? And who's gonna lead worship at the boulevard? It's <laughs> the so two questions I get. Well we're we're gonna walk through some and when I know, I'll let you know. But there's a process we're going to walk through. We're not going to be in a hurry. We're going to take some time to do it. Look, look, for for the person at Mission Hill, the person that leads Mission Hill campus, no one can do that for the next eight weeks anyway because we can't talk about change and we can't talk about raising money. How's that for fair, right? Hey, your first Sunday, come come home. Okay, now you're going to speak at Mission Hill and raise money. That wouldn't be real kind of me. So I have to do it. I've I've got to do those things. And so we're going to keep, going along, and and last night Ansel and I were at Mission Hill, and now we're here. But when you look at what happens when the body of Christ comes together and people start to work together, the math does not work out quite the same. See, one plus one plus one normally equals three but in 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 the kingdom of god one plus one plus one there's some exponential things that take place and we don't know what the end result of that is because when we get together and we pull all that we have together all of our resources our skills our talents our abilities and and we we have god at work in that moment there's something bigger than what we could do on our own or what collectively should be able to be done together happens because god is at work because there's teamwork because there's there's unity there's there's things going together and and change is one of those things and when, when we get into this whole thing of, of, of leadership changes and all that, well, look, here's two principles I'm going to operate by in, in finding the next people. The first one is they need to be able to and be willing to pour out their lives into the lives of the people they're ministering to and the city in which they live. Look, it's the same requirement for every follower of Jesus. Our lives are not our own. We're to live our lives for other people. We're to live lives of sacrifice. Jesus gave us a quote that he spoke to his disciples that we often refer to the greater love as no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. Look, we need leaders to lay down their lives for those around them. Uh, look, that's one of my goals in life is to lay down my life for the people around me. It may not be convenient. It may not be easy. But my goal is to lay my life down in service to the king for the growth of the kingdom. And I think that's what we all need to experience as followers of Jesus. We all need to get that place. It demands sacrifice. It demands work. So we're going to see some of those principles modeled through the life of Nehemiah. That's the interesting part is some of what I've just talked to you is actually a little bit of an introduction to the life of Nehemiah. And as we look at the life of Nehemiah, we're going to see that Nehemiah is a great example. And there's great lessons to be learned about change from his life. Change can be scary, but it can also be exciting. When you look at your life, and when you consider your life, what changes do you face personally right now? Have you gone back to school after years of not being a student? Have you started a new career or are you considering a career change? Are you in a different stage of life that requires adapting to change? I had a conversation this week with someone that, and, and they were explaining to me that They had just taken their first child to college. They made it to the elevator and buried their head in the chest of their husband and started bawling. Another lady in the elevator looks over and goes, first one, huh? (laughs) Hey, look, I'm not laughing at him. If you know the story, I took Josh, Josh, the one that's playing guitar, Josh. I took him to Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. I drop him off at school. We're there, and I'm, you know, we have a car trouble. And I and I call home to talk to Angela, or she calls me. I don't remember which way I went. And I'm in an auto parts store trying to figure out how to fix the car that I'm leaving with him because the windshield wipers stopped moving. And in Florida, you need them every day. Okay, let's just be honest. And, and Angela calls or I talk to her, and I say, hello. And she says... Hello? Have you been crying? I'm like, yes! (laughs) Change is hard in every aspect of life. Like, I'm drawing off in an incredible school. I mean, there were palm trees, an incredible environment, and it's beautiful. And I'm still like, what is wrong with me? But that's just what you go through in the midst of change. Change is not easy. And so as you walk through different stages of life, you're going to experience change. And those changes may bring emotions that you weren't prepared for. You didn't know existed. I never thought I could cry dropping a child off at school. I thought it was going to be like, fly, be free. <laughs> you know. No, I'm in the auto parts star, store in tears. Pathetic. no matter where you find yourself this message and this series will help you navigate the changes that you are facing or are gonna face so the question to ask at this point is what do you do when change comes what do you do when change comes Run and hide, or discover how to navigate through a new reality. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1 and we'll talk this through. We're we'll going to start reading with Nehemiah 1, verse 1, and this is Nehemiah is going to get a report. And Nehemiah gets the report, and here it is Nehemiah 1 1 through 3. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah gets the report. His brother comes and delivers an assessment of the situation, and it is bad. Have you ever asked a question? And we're like, why did I ask that question? (laughs) Because the answer you got wasn't what you wanted. Nehemiah asks his brother, how are things going for the people who have settled back in Jerusalem? And the answer is terrible. The walls have been broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. Now, we, we don't completely understand that. That, that doesn't comp- compute into our world, right? I mean, when we're thinking about gates and walled cities and all those things, that doesn't, like, that doesn't fit into our world. But in that world, in that time, it meant one thing. If your gates and your walls were destroyed... The people around that city, neighboring countries, could come and take anything they wanted. You didn't have a defense system. You, had, you were open to all kinds of things. So, so other countries would come and steal, and they would take whatever they wanted, and they would take the people and put them into slavery and, and do other things to the, to the women and the children. They, they would just, just ransack the place, and they had no defense. And Nehemiah realizes... That his countrymen are in trouble when he gets this report. But one of the powerful things is is that, that his brother is honest with him and tells him how bad it is. There's something powerful about looking at your situation and being brutally honest with what is going on. Jim Collins in his book Good to Great tells that thought, that whole idea of confronting the brutal facts. It's a book about companies, just being good companies to great companies. And the idea is if you confront the brutal facts, then you know how to move from point A to point B. And you know how to get there because you realize, oh man, it's really bad. Nehemiah finds out Jerusalem is really bad. It's a mess. And his relatives, his friends... Are open to all kinds of problems. So the question comes. What do your circumstances look like? Be honest. What are you dealing with? What change are you in the middle of? What transition in your life are you facing? What things are you struggling with? Be honest about it. Because if you can start with that moment and start from that point. You can go from there. And you can get somewhere with God. What do our circumstances look like? What are we facing? Be honest. Nehemiah, after he gets the report, is challenged by the report. We'll look at the first part of verse 4. It just says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. Now, (laughs) I don't know about you. The weeping I did or the crying I did in, in Lakeland, Florida, dropping off a kid is not the same weeping that we're talking about right here. Like there was no major issues. But I've been in times where the only thing we knew to do and the first reaction to what we experienced was we knew it was so bad that we wept. Like I've gotten reports or I've gone through situations and circumstances with people and the only thing you know to do and the only thing you can do immediately is, is you're gripped with those emotions of the pain that somebody's going through and you weep. And that's as... Essentially what happens to Nehemiah, he gets this report of how bad Jerusalem is, and he weeps. Look, if you can't be honest with the situation in front of you, or if you put your head in the sand and you don't look, you're in trouble. If we're honest, the situations may look overwhelming, They may look like there's no way we can do it. There's no hope on our own. And if we get to that place, that's probably a good place to be. If we recognize that we can't do it on our own. But what we need to get to is the next step. The next thing that Nehemiah does. We need to get to that place really, really fast. Because all the weeping, all the reality that we face, isn't going to help us. The next part will. The next part is a key factor, and it 's a part that needs to become our first reaction to everything we face. number three is nehemiah didn 't act; he prayed. Nehemiah won four to the end of it, but when I heard this, I sat down and wept in fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven before Nehemiah did anything, he prayed look, look that is That is the the response that should be the default for all followers of Jesus. When we are faced with circumstances that are difficult, we we ought to pray right off the bat. The first response, the the default response of the follower of Jesus ought to be to pray. We, we, We touch the sky when our knees hit the ground. When you think about that concept, when, when you realize that you're able to reach into heaven, when your knees hit the ground, because right there, it's an acknowledgement of surrender. God, I can't do this on my own. I know you've equipped me with certain things, certain abilities, certain things that I can do, but Lord, I know I can't do this one on my own. Help me. It's an acknowledgement of surrender. It's an acknowledgement of God, I know that you have an answer to what I'm facing. I know that you have a solution to all that is going on. Look, And, and this wasn't some kind of two-minute prayer. And there's nothing wrong. It may have been a two-minute prayer. What's recorded in the scriptures may have been a two-minute prayer. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that, that, that Nehemiah prayed longer than, God help me here. He came back. Day after day after day. Week week after week, month after month, after month, after month, he prayed over and over again before he ever acted, he prayed. If you're facing something big in your life, you need And again, not just a two-minute prayer. I mean, a two-minute prayer every day for the same thing would be good. But, but, but some days you might need to pray a 30-minute prayer. You might need to pray an hour prayer. You might need to fast and pray. You might need to really just just call out to God and, and forget about other things and just fall down on the ground and, and pray. Pray until the peace of God comes. Pray till the answer comes. Pray until God has given you direction. Pray until you know that God has heard you and he's answered you. Now, sometimes we pray for years. I've prayed the same prayer for years. 20 some years. I've prayed the same prayer. I don't know. Six or seven years. Almost every day. And I'm not going to quit praying that prayer until I see God's answer. Nehemiah prays and pray. Here's his prayer. and We don't have enough time to study the prayer, but here's his prayer. In Nehemiah 1.5, it says, Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what what you told your servant Moses. If you are faith, unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in, into his heart to be kind to me. In those days I was the king's cupbearer. Look, the power of prayer here is that one, Nehemiah knows God's promise to him. He knows God's promise to the nation of Israel. He, he knows the promise and he can he can Call out to God with that promise. And when you look at the Scriptures, look. not every promise of the Scriptures has been promised to us as a country or all those things. But, but in this case, it was, it was promised to the children of Israel. It was a promise that was there. But there's promises that God has made to us in His Scriptures, in His Word to us, that as we pray them, look, there's some prayers that we can pray back to God, that, that we can just know that He is with that prayer. Look, when you're praying for an unsaved family member or an unsaved friend, somebody who doesn't know Christ, that's a prayer that I know God hears. There is no other answer but for God to work toward the solution for that prayer. It doesn't always mean it happens because people have choices. People do what they want to do. They make decisions to disregard God's pursuit of them but it's a prayer that God is answering. As you call out to God and you say, Lord, you've promised you would be with me no matter what I went through. You promised that you would be with us always, even to the end of the world or the end of the age. Lord, be with me now in the midst of what I'm facing. It's his promise to you. He's promised he would be with you. He's not going to leave you alone. There are times you want him to, but he won't. Psalm 139 tells us all those things. If we make our bed in the depths, he's there. If we make our rise to the wings of the dawn, he's there. It doesn't matter what it is. Wherever we find ourselves, he's not going to leave us alone. And when you're in the midst of struggle, when you're in the midst of change, call out to God. Remind him, he promised he would be with you. Look, there's a prayer I'm praying. And that prayer I'm praying is, Lord, help us to make a difference in the ninety thousand people in this city who do not know Jesus. You've heard me say it. You've heard me. You'll if if you don't know that number, if you hear ninety thousand, you don't think of me. I'm going to be offended. Okay. Ninety thousand. I don't even think money. I don't even think I, I if you think ninety thousand, you think dollars, I've not done my job. Ninety thousand people in this city who need to know Jesus. Look at that 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 needs to be what drives us for everything we do. Look, look, we need to care for the people who are part of the family of God. We we must do that. We must care for one another. Why are small groups so important? Because we need to bring care and and and, and you know, ministry to those who are in the body. That's why it's so important. Jesus came for 90,000 people in this city who do not yet know him. They're in a crash course for eternity without him. And we've got to do something about it. That's why we do what we do. That's why we do the things we're doing. That's why we're going to build a building at Mission Hill. Because it's going to help us impact 90,000 people in the city. Why are we doing a remodel in a church? In a, in a, why have we done the things we're doing? Why are we willing to part with part of our parking lot that we use for free in order to get some money? Because it's going to enable us to do what God has called us to do. Know why. Before what? Know why you're doing what you're doing. Before you're doing it. The fourth thing is Nehemiah. Waited for the right time. Nehemiah waited for the right time. Nehemiah 2, verse 1 says, Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king as wine. I'd never appeared before sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Nehemiah had a pretty good job. In the king's service. He, Nehemiah lived there, the palace. He was highly trusted. He was he was incredibly trusted. He he would sit near the king, and he was trusted by the king. If he wasn't trusted by the king, he wouldn't have gotten his job. The problem with Nehemiah's job is he was highly trusted, but expendable. See, the job of the cupbearer was to taste the wine before the king did. His job was to eat the food, to test the food before the king did. Because if somebody's going to kill the king by poisoning, that's not a bad way to do it. Give it to him in food or his drink. But it had to get through the cupbearer first. So if the cupbearer lives through the process. The food's safe to eat. How many of you signing up for that job? So the cupbearer has a, Huge responsibility. He's trusted. But he's more expendable than the king. And that's tough. Nehemiah had never appeared before the king sad. Because he appeared before the king sad. That may be the last day you appear. Because if you appear before the king sad in that context likely to kill you. Why is Nehemiah terrified when the king asks, why are you sad? He was worried. But Nehemiah had prayed. In fact, as we read this, Nehemiah had prayed from what was basically October, November to April, May before he ever communicates to the king what his need is. He had been burdened by something. He had gotten the report. He had been challenged by the report. He he began to pray about what was going on to his people. And he knew somewhere along the road, Nehemiah recognized he has to do something. But he doesn't know what. Nor does he know when. And so Nehemiah prays, and he prays, and he, and he prays for for a long time, waiting for the right time, waiting for the moment that 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 is the right time to present to the king what he can do. Look, he's not going just like, here, king, could you put me in a transfer to Jerusalem? Not going to go well. He doesn't just walk in one day and resign to the king. King, I'm I'm going to go to Jerusalem now. See ya. Probably not happening. You don't get to tell the king what you're going to do. He waits for the right time. Look, there's a lesson in that for us all. The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. The right thing at the right time is the right thing. Look, there's timing issues in all kinds of things that we do. When, when we have, need to have conversations, whether a confrontation or whatever, right timing is very important. Right timing in this one was extremely important. Because Nehemiah experiences God's grace and blessing in that moment. He, he experiences God's, God's going before him. Remember, that prayer he prayed every day for, for weeks... And months and months he 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 prayed that prayer over and over again, and it prepared the king to be open to his request. So the king grants the request, tells him, Yeah, sure, go ahead. Go go do it. But Nehemiah doesn't stop there. Nehemiah is a is a brilliant guy, and God has prepared the way for him. Look, I, I had this experience. Years ago, I was raising money for a project that uh, is similar to the one that I do here. Okay, my goal when I was in Illinois was to try and put a copy of the Bible into every kid's hands, junior high and high school student's hands uh, in the state of Illinois. I was raising money because I would go into public schools and I'd, I would do school assemblies and we'd do outreaches at night and, and I was raising money for that and, and I'd gotten connected up with a businessman in the Rock Island area and he he made um, landscape brick, um, and a friend and I went there to meet with him, and we were asking for some things. We were asking for a contribution, and specifically, I was asking for a, a video camera, about $3,000 video camera, and a computer that, again, was another three to, to $4,000. I was asking for about $7,000. When I asked the question and told the guy what I was using it for and he was he was very interested, um, he said, How much do you need? And I told him, you know, for those things I need about 7000 $7, dollars. He goes, Here you go. I was like, eh, should ask for more. <laughs> <laughs> I asked for what I needed. You know, to kind of give you a perspective on that first city we ever did a school assembly and it was a small town. We saw 14% of the school come to faith in one day. I'm not telling you that story because, oh, that's so great. No, that was a God prayer. That was a missional prayer. And God's provision came in the midst of that. Nehemiah, when he asked the king, and we'll talk about it more, when he asks the king And he says, sure. And then Nehemiah's like, well, you're at it. Would you throw in some wood for me from your, your, your forest? And would you help me get it there? Would you give me letters to make sure I have safe passage? And then the king is like, hey, well, you know, you probably need some horsemen and some chariots and people to protect you as you go. So, hey, I'll throw those in as well. Why? Because Nehemiah had prayed. And he waited for the right time. Look, sometimes we are praying about things. And God speaks into our life at a certain point for a certain time. And he, and he speaks something into us. And we, we because we are, are Americans, most of us, we, we tend to think like today. Like God spoke, let's do it now. Because I can't wait. You mean i got to wait three minutes for my coffee? What? i got to wait for my lunch? Are you kidding me? This is supposed to be fast food. Waiting is not. So when we hear God speak to our life, we think now. We need to understand there's a right time for everything. And I don't know what all you're facing. I don't know what all you're going through. But the transitions and the changes or whatever you're you're wandering through individually. God has time for that. He has times So he's he's going to, you're going to watch when moments that you've been praying for are going to connect to a place, and you're going to be like, that is it. You're, You're going to know, just like Nehemiah knew, Nehemiah knew that right in that moment, that was the time. And yet he still prayed. Even when he sensed it was the right time, he quickly whispers a prayer to God. We don't know what that prayer was. But then he asks. He steps into the moment that God has put before him. And and I'm suggesting to you that as we walk through change in our lives, there is a perfect timing for the things we are experiencing. Look, everything we experience from the time that God speaks into our life or something that comes into our life and we begin praying for the answer, is actually about the transformation that needs to place in our lives. The preparation for the moment that we're going to step into. See I can't give you like examples for everything you've gone through. But I just know that when God gives you something earlier in your life. That you begin praying and asking God for that. That at some point you're going to see it happen. But all of that wasn't wasted time. That was preparation for the moment in which you stepped into it. God is not crazy. He actually knows what he's doing. Again, he did create this place. He holds it all in its place with his word, with his hand. Nehemiah understands that. And when we're in the midst of change, we need to understand that. We need to understand that God has a perfect timing for our lives and the things that we're facing. He is going to bring his solution and his answer at the perfect time. If we will trust him. If we will stay with him. We want him to lead us. We want the words of the scriptures to become true. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a righteous person are ordered by God. See, if we'll stay in his presence, he will order our steps and get us where we need to go. And as we start to veer off path, He will help bring us back to those places. Remember, He is the God who created everything. He's the one who can get us back on course when we are maybe veering off slightly, not intentionally, but He's going to help us. That's what Nehemiah understood. And as we walk through this whole thing, we're going to watch, over the next few weeks, we're going to watch how Nehemiah trusts God through this. And he keeps focused on the change. And the work that needs to be done. And he lets nothing knock him off course. So in the midst of change, we need to evaluate what we're facing. And be honest about it. Be open to being a part of the solution. We can't expect others to do what we aren't willing to do. Pray, ask God for help. Wait for God's timing. And then, take action. God's timing doesn't mean he's going to do it all for us. We will have to take action. We'll have to do what he has called us to do. And we'll step into that. And it will be a great moment to Because, again, it's his kingdom at work in this world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in all of our lives. Lord, thank you for working in us and through us. Lord, I pray this morning that, Lord, whatever we find ourselves in the middle of, whether it's uh, corporate changes and things within our churches or whether it be things in our lives individually, Lord, I pray that you would speak your peace and your help into people's lives. Lord, that whatever it is and whatever they're going through, they would recognize your presence in the midst of it. That they wouldn't run ahead. They would trust you. They would walk with you and hear your voice leading them and guiding them. Lord, this morning, if there are people in this room who need to surrender and give their lives to you and follow you, God, I pray that this would be the day. Lord, I pray that you would speak into people's lives. They would recognize that there's a God who loves them, cares for them, wants to help them and walk with them through all that they go through. Lord, speak this morning. closing moments, God, do what you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name.